This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down, end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness, DeMond Cotton and your boy Q. And joined right now on the phone lines, Deontay Lee for Pro Football Focus. And uh, Deontay, welcome back to the show. We do appreciate it. Last time you are on the show was fantastic. And so uh, looking forward to talking to you again. And before we get into some college football and talk about the playoffs that are coming up, I did want to get your thoughts on John Madden. Uh, we lost a, a legend uh, just the other day at the age of 85. His uh, his documentary of played on Christmas, and then a couple days later, all of a sudden we find out that he passes away uh, early in the morning. So uh, what were your thoughts on John Madden? When you hear that name, what, is, what does that mean to you? I mean, honestly, you talk about, like, a football icon in every sense of the word, and John Madden is what comes to mind, right? Like, for me, as a Southern California kid, you know, his identity and larger-than-life identity, you know, as a coach of the Raiders was already something that's really prevalent, right? Being in San Diego, you're going to see your fair amount of Raiders fans, and when you talk about glory days with Oakland, you know, or, or the Los Angeles Raiders and things like that, you're thinking about that era, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of Raiders football with Madden. So there's that, you know, there's that in for me just as a consumer of the sport. Then you talk about the broadcasting and growing up you know, and having him on television. And you get somebody who's personable and knowledgeable at the same time. And I think that that's something that we see talked about on social media with these broadcasts, you know, game after game after game, is the people who are and are not talented enough to be able to explain what's happening on the field in a way that you can take something from it if you're just a casual observer, while also still having that kind of personality that you need to keep people engaged in it. You know, he was never dry. He was very entertaining. He was able to articulate himself well, you know, and he had the perfect personality to be in the booth. I mean, that's that's a rare combination. So you have it on that layer as well. And then obviously for me, being a millennial, you know, and growing up in an era of, you know, all of these video games and you get the Madden franchise and what that is and what that's done for EA Sports. So he's larger than life in just all these different walks of life that he's had, you know, through his time in football. Um, it was very saddening and, and kind of shocking to hear the news, you know, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, the wording of unexpected, I think, carries not just in terms of what people thought of his health at the time, but just where we were. I don't think anybody was thinking about right. the idea of having a football world without John Madden in spite of his age. Um, but I do think that it's been great to see all this outpouring of love and support and you get all these different connecting stories. Like I said, through all these different walks within football from the broadcasting into the coaching and football into this entire generation of young people who have grown in their love of the game through his video game. And that to me is an incredible legacy. You know, it's one thing to say that, you know, you left your mark on the game because you won or you were great or you left your mark on the game because you were in everybody's living room as a broadcaster. But, you know, and and I know it probably seems small, but it is no small feat to have that 
legacy within the video game because now you are introducing the sport to maybe people who would never be interested in it at an age where they might not be interested in this sport or in sports in general. And now they have a way to connect with the game, which helps push us forward, you know, for generations to come. So again, an icon in every sense of the word and football definitely lost one of its best ambassadors that it's ever had, you know, yesterday. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think you worded it perfectly. You couldn't have said it any better than that. And I got to ask, because you mentioned the video game, and that's kind of a rite of passage, man. That's one of those things where people take pride in that. They take pride about being on the game and being nice on the game. So how nice on the sticks were you? How nice on the sticks were you? If I had to grade myself, I'd say I'm about a B minus. I can beat anybody's dad in the world. That's what I, (laughs) I I can beat any dad in Madden in the world. People in my age range, you can kind of go, you know, it can go either way, you know, but I feel good against the uncles, against the dads across the country in Madden. I, I guess that's the best way I'll put it. Wow. Okay. So he's beating me. <laughs> he's beating me. I, I'm telling you, I got off the sticks uh, after Richard Sherman was on the cover. That was my last one that I was really locked okay. in on. I'll play every once in a while now, but uh, I'm not that good. You know, I'm not. I'm not that guy. You know, the, the the young young ones. They're the ones that they know every kind of move and trick, and they carry their own controllers. Once everyone started really carrying their own controllers, I was done. Right. Right. No, I get it. I mean, I'm still. There's still sometimes where I get caught up trying to hit R1 and L1 to juke, you know, because that's what I was used to. And now there's all this stuff with the analog stick. I don't have the stick skills like that. So, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm probably a step behind the people who are maybe five to ten years younger than me right now. Right. Yo, that's hilarious that you said that R1, L1 to juke, man. That's like back, like what Mad No 4. Oh, man, why you oh, trying to exactly. age him like that, man? Why you trying to age him like that? Like, yo, that's some, that's some old talk right there. Ah, oh, see. Exactly. Unbelievable. All right, talking right now with Deontay Lee for Pro Football. Focus here on Radio Nation Radio 920. I wanted to get into the college football playoffs with you. What do you think of the Final Four? Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, and Georgia. Last time we talked to you, as a matter of fact, it was Alabama was about to play Georgia in the SEC uh, championship game, and I thought Alabama was going to get ran out the gym. Instead, uh, they put a whooping on Georgia. So, hey, what do I know? But what do you think of the Final Four? Um, I think that, you know, you're going to get these interesting matchups. And, and I was talking about this with my colleague, Seth Galina, at PFF, in terms of what the pathway is for these underdogs to win. And they kind of mirror each other in certain ways, and at least on the defensive end. So you're looking at a Cincinnati and a Michigan team that defensively, they want to play a lot of man, and they want to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Now, that can kind of go either way when you're dealing with teams that are more talented player for player than you are. Um, you know, so that's kind of the conversation that we're having you know, amongst people who are trying to forecast what these games are going to play out like. So if I'm looking at, you know, a Georgia and Michigan game, my big thing is, is there going to be enough pass rush to be able to affect a guy like Stetson Bennett, right? I mean, he has enough questions on whether or not he's going to be prepared, you know, or whether he's good enough in order to push this team to where it needs to go. And we're going to get a great look at that, you know, and kind of get our answer on that tomorrow, you know, in their semifinal game against Michigan. But I want to get after him, play a lot of man coverage, and see if he's good enough to be able to beat, you know, a four-man pass rush and a lot of tight coverage. You don't get to see that a whole lot at the college level, you know, because of all the big talent disparities. And a team as talented as Georgia, you're definitely not going to see many teams that are going to play defense the way that Michigan does. So I'm really interested in that matchup. And then on the other end, when you're talking about Cincinnati and Alabama, same deal. You're going to get a Cincinnati team that likes to send a bunch of pressure. They're going to like to play a lot of man, a lot of cover one. You know, and they want to live in the fact that they can win their matchups more often than not. And that can go away with an Alabama team. You know, we saw 
in the SEC championship game, what it means as an offense when you have a guy like Jameson Williams where nobody in the building is fast enough to roll with that guy <laughs> step for step. Right. Right. So there's there's some interesting matchups to be found in that and whether or not Cincinnati can hold up in coverage long enough to get after Bryce Young. If you're Cincinnati, you've got to feel confident if you go back and you watch Texas A&M or you watch uh, Auburn play them earlier in the year and you see, okay, you can get after this team and protection. You can get some pressure on Bryce Young. Um, so that's got to be the approach, I think. And then the hope is that he's not the same, you know, ungodly quarterback that he was in the SEC championship game. Because I don't think there was anything Georgia could have done to stop him. He was absolutely on fire. And to be honest, if that's the guy that he is for the rest of the way, then Alabama's winning the national title. There's nothing that you can do about a quarterback that plays at the level that he did in the SEC title game. So it's just going to be a matter of affecting the quarterback for both of these underdog teams and and seeing where the cards, you know, lay out from there. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because you mentioned that when we were talking about the SEC championship game and you said that was what's going to have to happen. Bryce Young was going to have to have an unbelievable day. And, well, that's exactly what he did. So, yeah, if he plays at that level, it's going to be incredible. Now, Deontay, I live in the world where DBs win games. That's what that's what I live by. I just I swear by it. And Cincinnati's got a couple nice ones. Ahmad Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, two really nice defensive backs. One, how do you think they hold up in this game? And, two, what are your thoughts on them when they get to the next level? Um, I love both of them. I really like Sauce Gardner. I am a huge fan of Sauce Gardner. You know, to your point, just like you, I'm always going to have a soft spot in my head, not only for good corners, but for good corners that know that they're good corners that will let you know how good in coverage they are. (laughs) And that's a lot of the energy that those two guys give. They have a lot of confidence in their ability, and they have a lot of trust in their teammates that allows them to be able to win these one-on-one matchups. Um, I'm really excited to see it. You know, I would have been even more excited if John Mechie for Alabama were healthy mm-hmm. and you really got to see one number two wide receiver against number one and number two corners that are going to be playing in the NFL one day. But both of those guys, you know, they're going to be, in my opinion, day one contributors at the NFL level because it's just so difficult to find corners these days that are comfortable playing press, playing tight man-to-man coverage with no help. There are no brackets coming. You know, you're not shading a, a safety over the top of these guys. They got to go live on their own island. It's hard to find that at the college level. Everything's spread out and everybody's playing their own coverage, you know, and trying to play softer and drop an eight and all of that type of stuff. So it, it's just going to be such a nice palate cleanse at the college level to see a team like Cincinnati where they're going to be sending pressure and playing tight man to man coverage. That's going to be one of those games that. You know, it's going to kind of throw you. It's going to throw you back to what football kind of used to be in a prior era. They they still approach things in that kind of way. Yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm excited about watching those guys go out there and compete, and I'm a big fan of Sauce Gardner too. Just one. I mean, he's got the got the nickname game <laughs> on point. Name. Right, exactly. Game. Best nickname in the game. <laughs> and it's not even close. It's not even close. If your name is Sauce. You know that you're nice. Oh, so. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We're talking right now with Deontay Lee for Pro Football Focus here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. And I wanted to ask you about Desmond Ritter, the the quarterback from the Bearcats. How in, how important is it going to be for him to be, obviously him on the field, but also be that leader so that the rest of the team knows that, hey, this moment's not too big for us? 
you know, if, if I'm Desmond Ritter, I got to go to bed and close my eyes tonight and and ask whatever higher power it is that I believe in, that whatever he gave to Deshaun Watson in 2015 and 2016, that he could just sprinkle a little bit of that special sauce on me, and maybe we'll have a chance to win that game. Um, but I'm confident in the fact that he may be able to do just enough to keep Cincinnati competitive, and then from there, you know, you kind of deal with however the game plays out. Because, you know, I'm always going to have confidence in a quarterback that has a ton of reps. This is a guy that's basically been Cincinnati from the day that he walked on campus there they've had a lot of success in all four years that he's been there you know he's seen every coverage he's seen every blitz you know he's very comfortable in this offense he's had the same head coach throughout this tenure so I'm I'm really confident in his ability to be able to handle the pressure of the moment that's one thing that I'm really interested but the one thing I'm really interested to see I would say is is he going to be able to create you know those plays those Deshaun Watson-esque plays where you break out of a sack scramble one way, turn around and flip the other way, and you turn a third and eight into first and ten. you got to be able to do enough of those small things to be able to keep your defense off the field. Because one thing that I can say, no matter how good those corners are, no matter how much pressure they put on, if you give Alabama five, six, seven, eight bites at the apple in the first half, you're going to be chasing two to three possessions. They're just too efficient offensively to give them that many opportunities. So the big thing is just like, He's got to be great on third downs. He's got to be great on second and long. When you when they know you're going to pass, you know you're going to pass, and you're going to get their best pressure package. You're going to get their tightest coverage, all the brackets, you know, all these different pre-snap disguises, et cetera, et cetera. He's got to win at least half of those, half of those downs, and give his offense an opportunity to succeed. If he does that, you know, you get into the third, fourth quarter, and they're within a possession or two then it just becomes a matter of, hey, you know, does this quarterback have enough moxie to be able to handle the moment? And if you're, if you're Cincinnati, you wouldn't rather have anybody in college football, I think, other than your senior guy who's been doing this for you and this program and bringing you to the playoffs over these past four years. I know Cincinnati doesn't want to be the flag bearer. Uh, that's what they say. They don't want to be the representatives for the, the small guy, the little team, you know, the little program. Uh, but how important is it, in your opinion, that they go out there and have a good showing? So, other smaller programs do have a real deal opportunity of getting into the college playoffs in the future. I think that the biggest thing for them is, like you said, you just want to go out and show well. It's not really even about the scoring margin. You just want to go out and show well. And I understand why they don't want to. I wouldn't want to be the flag bearer if I had to play Alabama in my semifinal game either. Okay, so I, <laughs> I understand it. Um, but I do think that it's important for the narrative of college football a, is that they're there. So, number one, the fact that they're there and their resume merits the fact that they're there. They're not in the playoffs because every other, you know, Power 5 team that we usually would like it has three losses, right? There was no wild ending to the conference to the conference championship weekend where maybe we thought there was a team that could be in the playoffs. All of them lose, and now we got to bring this team that's ranked ace that maybe we wouldn't have put there otherwise into the playoffs. So, they earned their way. They have merited their, their appearance in the college football playoffs. So that's a win for starters. Um, and then number two, like you said, just going out and having a strong showing, being competitive, that's going to do a lot going forward. So maybe we can get to a place where a team that's as good as Cincinnati doesn't have to be good for three years in a row the way that they had to be in order to even merit being close enough in the conversation to where they could get into the playoffs. We don't want to have a situation where you have your Houston you know, in 2015, 2016, 2017, where you basically got to go undefeated two years in a row right. if you want to make it into the playoffs. You know, that to me is going to be the biggest thing in terms of conversation. And for them, 
you know, specific to Cincinnati, you really want to roll your momentum from this into more good seasons because when they, when they join the Big 12, having a team that's made the playoffs in that conference is going to add some kind of credibility to them. And now that gives more hope to your Boise, et cetera, et cetera. You know, your UCFs, that if we're good over a long stretch of time, not only do we have an opportunity to make the playoff, but as this world in college football continues to change and all this realignment happens and people are trying to figure out who are the serious programs and the ones that we can legitimately consider to be playoff contending teams, you just want to be close enough to that conversation so that way the next time a conference is looking to add three or four teams, you can be a piece of that. That, to me, I think is going to be the biggest narrative-wise that we're looking at the University of Cincinnati for this weekend. Now, Deontay, I just got a couple more questions for you. This has been fantastic. I wanted to ask about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. What, in your opinion, has he done, or what did he have to do this year to get over the hump, one of Ohio State, and then also get into the college football playoff? And how much did Mike McDonald, the uh, defensive coordinator, have to do with that? I was going to say, I mean, you kind of pointed it out, and it's not just Mike McDonald, it's also Josh Gaddis. I think the biggest thing for him as a head coach was understanding where he needed another voice. Being able, first of all, having the ability to walk away from having a defensive coordinator like Don Brown, who is a legend in his own right. You know, at the end of the day, he's probably going to be, in the, if he's not in the College Football Hall of Fame, he's going to be as close as you can get to it because he's put so much time into it at all these different levels and has found success. But being able to look at your situation defensively and say, hey, we need a new voice. We need something that maybe fits what we're seeing at this level a little bit better. And then obviously it doesn't hurt having an NFL brother that you can go in and say, <laughs> hey, who's your best young assistant coach? Right. And I'm just going to come snag him to go do what you guys are doing or a version of it. So that helps. And then having Josh Gaddis, the ability, number one, to be able to find a guy who's at Alabama, who's not calling the plays, but is a piece of putting together the offenses that we saw in Tua Tagovailoa's era, you know, going into Mac Jones. Like, that framework for the offense that we've seen at Alabama that's been so incredible was kind of built with him, Dan Enos, Mike Loxley, et cetera, et cetera, that entire staff, and trusting him to come in and add some things. And then after last year and the year before and kind of being up and down in performance, really trusting this guy to say, hey, whatever your flavor of offense is, I'm going to put this in your hands. Now, there's still some things that are important to, to Harbaugh that you still see. All the pulling guards and the unbalanced formations and the heavier personnel, those are still hallmarks of this offense, and that's always going to be a thing with Harbaugh. But when you see them kind of spread things out, the RPOs, you know, all the drag routes and crossing routes and play actions, et cetera, et cetera, those are all things that I can tell that he's been able to lean on his young offensive coordinator and say, hey, whatever it is that you believe will help us move the football and put points on the board, I'm going to put that on your shoulders. And you see the return on investment over time. So a lot of this is just growth. And if I'm, if I'm looking at this and I'm a fan of another college football team, my biggest thing is if you know you have a talented head coach, this is the greatest endorsement for giving a guy time to figure out what his new idea identity in a program is going to be right so if you're a team like Clemson right now that just lost your offensive coordinator just lost your defensive coordinator to be head coaches and you're looking at him trying to find a new identity you got to be looking at a guy like Jim Harbaugh and say hey Michigan can stick it out through a little bit of shakiness even after a bad year there's reason to have hope that if you've got a head coach that's found success at every other place he's been or has found success in this program give them time let them find a new identity and now you maybe get the results that you're seeing at the University of Michigan. 
All right, Deontay, I was content with just talking college football all day, <laughs> but you tweeted something a few hours ago, and before I read the tweet, I want to say thank you for what say, thank you for saying what needed to be said. It's time to tell it's time <laughs> we tell the truth about Baker Mayfield. When you consider supporting cast, level of competition, and his production, he's been the worst QB in the NFL down the stretch. And I agree with you 1,000%. I mean, it's, it's hard to dodge. I, I was telling, you know, we recorded our podcast for PSS today, and I was telling Seth Medina that I didn't even really want to write it that way, and that was not my intention when I started writing the piece. I was looking for the most even-handed way to say, hey, right now, if we're talking about this team's ceiling, it's set at this place because of Baker Mayfield. Here's what he can do to get to the other side. But then I started looking at all the metrics that we keep at PSF. It's like, okay, he's in the bottom 25% of this. He's in the bottom 25% in this. He's in the bottom half in this. You know, he's struggling under pressure. He, even when it's play-action throws, he's not performing well. Um, pocket's not clean, he's not performing well. And I was just looking at some of the decision-making he, was, he had in some of these plays. Like, man, some of these are the worst turnovers that we've had in the NFL this year. You just... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> was that a mic drop moment? Yeah, it was a mic drop moment. That was the equivalent of a Stephen A. Kwame Brown clip. Oh, no offense to the man. He's got small hands. He can't catch the ba- wow. basketball. He's got bad feet. Wow. I don't know what happened. His phone just dropped. Unbelievable. I know it was making a little noise here and there. I thought that something was going on. Oh, that's terrible. I'm got glad. too close to the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, cold game. Well, thanks very much, Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus. Hope he has a happy new year. Give him, try to give him a call back at a commercial break, make sure he's okay. Uh, but, yeah, that was great stuff, man. Really good detail in the college football playoffs, and he was going in on Baker Mayfield and, uh, and really didn't try to go in on, uh, on Baker Mayfield, but the numbers – the numbers didn't lie in the situation, right? That's the case that it, that it was. 322 is the time. We'll come back, take a couple calls, get a couple texts in. Plus, we'll be talking to Cassie Soto from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We'll do all of that coming up next here on Radio Nation Radio 920. It's unnecessary roughness. The judge, Lester Hayes, joining us now. That's why, Q, of course, our team kept winning. Kept winning, Q, because of our training. You got to put in the work. And the time and the perseverance and the patience to train your body and train your brain. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Coming up in a matter of minutes, we'll be talking to Cassie Soto from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Get her thoughts on the upcoming game, Raiders Colts, Sunday in Indy. But before we do that, very pleased to say that Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus didn't know what happened to his phone. Thought he just had a mic drop moment there. Uh, he's back. Deontay, I don't know what, how we lost our connection, but uh, I appreciate you calling me back, my man. Oh, no problem, man. I don't know what happened with that either, but, yeah, definitely had to jump back on. So you were uh, you were talking about Baker Mayfield and how you came up to, your, uh, you know, to the conclusion that he really was basically the issue going on for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, you know, uh, the the gist of what I was getting at is that if you look at the situation that's been built around him, right, they have basically a league average defense by most of, by most advanced metrics. Um, if you look at their offense, they've built out one of the best offensive lines in the league. They've had one of the best rushing attacks in the league. They probably have the best running back in the NFL right now, um, you know, arguably with Jonathan Taylor, you know, and Nick Chubb. You have the best edge rusher, I think, in the world right now, Miles Garrett. You look at their contracts, they're basically not paying anybody above market value except for maybe John Johnson, which I still think is a good player, just not having the best year. So the framework has 
the framework has been built on every level to have a quarterback that succeeds. You bring in a head coach that does this, you know, heavy downhill run, the play action scheme in order to be able to open up space for their quarterback to throw in the windows as well. And he's still struggling and playing so poorly. That's why I'm like, not only does the met, not only do the metrics say that this is one of the worst quarterbacks in the second half of the year, basically since week nine, you know, after they blow out Cincinnati, after trading Odell, you know, or, or waving Odell and he gets picked up by, by the Rams, they go out, they blow out Cincinnati, everybody thinks everything is okay. And basically from the Patriots game following that Bengals game on, he's been playing as poorly, if not more, than every other quarterback that's been starting in the NFL. And it's not just the metrics. It's when you think about that in conjunction with everything that the franchise has done to cocoon this guy, you've got to start thinking, like, at the end of his rookie deal, is this actually somebody that we can afford to extend and pay the way that you would typically see a quarterback be paid in his second contract after being the number one overall pick in the NFL and starting basically all five years of that deal? Talk that talk. <laughs> I didn't let him know. <laughs> he dropped ah, the, not the flex bomb. Wow. The flex bomb. <laughs> he got him. He got him with the flex bomb right there. I like that. So I, I really wanted – that was the kind of the question I wanted to go to to wrap this up was what do the Browns do when it comes to contract time? How do they, how do they figure out what to do? Is it worth going out and get someone else, maybe a free agent? Is it worth dipping back into the draft? Or is it worth running him his money? Well, the – the thing is, is that the timing on this could not possibly be worse for Cleveland, right? This is probably going to be one of the weaker quarterback drafts that we've had in recent history. So there's really not much in terms of the draft to go get. As we saw in this past offseason, all the quarterback movement in terms of trades for viable veterans already happened. The Rams already got their Matthew Stafford. The Panthers have made their move for their guy. The Broncos made their move for a veteran. You know, and you missed out on this past rookie class, which I'm not mad at because you got a quarterback on a rookie deal already. And then you have, you know, all the issues that are surrounded a guy, you know, the prize quarterback that might be available in Deshaun Watson. You have all the issues that still revolve around that. And I just don't see how you can make a move for a guy like that until his legal situation is resolved. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, not just in terms of public imaging, but legitimately in terms of availability for this guy. I don't know where everything will stand until people start taking the legal stand, you know, going under oath and saying exactly what it was that happened, you know, with him and all of these women who have these allegations against him and whether or not things are going to escalate on a criminal end based on what's found in these civil trials, you know. So that, to me, I think is exactly why Cleveland is going to be stuck with this decision of, hey, do we just have to ride this thing out for the remainder of his contract, which expires going into 2023, I believe, and then try again? Or do you make some rash decision and trade, you know, two first-round picks and a great role player or whatever, or take on a bunch of cap in order to bring in, you know, a guy who may be a veteran and is not would not be available unless you, you know, broke the bank. You know, we'll see what happens in Seattle. But if I'm Cleveland, I've got to be looking at the Seahawks and saying, please, 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 let all these reports that this thing is coming to an end be true. And maybe you can come in and maybe try to swing for the fences for a guy like Russell Wilson on the tail, coming close to the tail end of his career, because you you have to be confident that you're going to get better quarterback play out of a guy that's a veteran that we've seen play at the Super Bowl level than what they've been getting out of Baker Mayfield so far this season. 
Should be interesting. It really should. That's a that's going to be an interesting little uh, scenario that the Browns have to go through, and I cannot wait to see how they uh, they navigate through the waters of that. Well, Deontay, we definitely appreciate you uh, this afternoon, my man. What you got coming out on Pro Football Focus that folks should be on the lookout for? Um, if you have not read the Baker Mayfield piece that I put out um, today on Thursday, please take a look at it. Um, it is behind. It is part of our premium content, but I will let you know that we have promo codes out the you know what to help you out with getting your subscription started with PFF, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, the Two High Podcast, we'll have an episode of that that's coming out tomorrow where we're discussing the college football playoff like we did today. Uh, we talked a little bit about Baker. You know, we try to cover as much of the NFL from both an offensive and defensive perspective as we can. Sometimes it's in the weeds in terms of schemes, so if you have an interest in that, we serve that interest, and we also talk about some of the big-picture narrative stuff. So if you're just kind of casually looking for another angle to take in your football information, we're here for that as well. Um, I typically write about once or twice a week, and you can find me on Twitter at PFF underscore D Lee for all the tweets like saying that Baker Mayfield is the worst quarterback in the NFL. So (laughs) you can find me just about anywhere that you take in your typical football content. I heard that. Well, thank you so much. It's fantastic as always, my man. Have a happy new year. Be safe out there. We'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. Same to y'all. All right, there he goes, Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus. Uh, great stuff right there from him. Appreciate him giving us a call back after uh, our, our wires got crossed a little bit in the last segment. Now, without further ado, it's time to bring on the birthday girl. Let's just give her a round of applause. Cassie Soto, the Las Vegas Review-Journal. You don't have no birthday music ready for You didn't have no birthday music for <laughs> Come on. Come Happy on. Don't, why you... birthday to you. Happy. I'll do it. You want me to just sing uh, it? Hey, I'll sing look, my birthday song. You've been partying your tail off on Twitter anyway, celebrating your <laughs> birthday. So I figured that I figured that, that DeMond would have had you set up already. I was really hoping he'd give me a nice rejoin, but I don't know if we're still friends again. I thought we made up on Sunday, but if we're not, then, then that's all right. I get the message there, DeMond. You know what, Q, and I didn't tell you about this, but then she tries to throw out a peace offering. She's like, hey, do you want UNLV tickets as they play San Diego State? Well, you know, she knows that you're a big UNLV guy. Exactly, but you know, what? there's probably a catch to it or something. I don't know. You took them, though. You took them. Oh! <laughs> wow! You can't talk trash, take her tickets, and then talk trash. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Nope. No, uh, wait, hold on. Is he taking Kayla with him? I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody cares, man. Everyone cares. I don't know. I don't know who he's taking. Oh, I thought I thought he would have told you. Okay. No, no. I did. I asked for four tickets. Who knows who might be going? Oh, Kayla and friends. Myself. You know what? I want to stretch out. <laughs> you couldn't even stretch out over four seats. You sure ain't that long. They barely. Matter of fact, they'll give you a booster seat to get your ass in one. <laughs> Oh, no. The little, like, the padding, the padding cushion <laughs> where you can put on the seat. Exactly. So it's a little more sophisticated. Right, exactly. This guy acting like he's he going to take up a couple extra seats. Man, they'll put you in the child's department. I, would, I wouldn't expect anything less for someone to join in and pile on. The <laughs> hater of the year, Cassie Soto. Closing out the year. You finished strong. You won the award. Nah, Cassie's good people. <laughs> so, Cassie, I want to know, is, has, has your birthday been good so far? I, I, that's a real question. I mean, I'm still on the clock, so once I'm off the clock, then I'll get a lot better. But so far, so good. Yeah, I got some, some great messages, and um, yeah, I cannot complain. 20, 27 is coming in coming in good so far. It's a little cold outside, though, so it's kind of lame, but Man, no, you all is well. You ain't lying. It's way too cold for me. I, I thought that uh, I didn't think I had to deal with so much winter coming here to, to Vegas, but uh, apparently maybe I brought the cold with me from Texas. I don't know, because it has been... Cold. Did you get frost on your car the other day? No, no, I got a garage, Cassie. <laughs> got a garage. 
<laughs> well, excuse me. <laughs> Little mic drop there. <laughs> you think I parked on the street? <laughs> My bad. I forgot. You're looking for the Scarface house, so you got you got you got funny money to mess around with and get buy yourself a garage key. My bad. My yeah, bad. you know, something like that. You know, I, my priorities might not be straight, but uh, my car ain't got no frost on the window. So <laughs> I'm going I'm to make sure it's okay. So, uh, Cassie, man, looking at this game coming up on, on Sunday, the Raiders and the Colts, the Raiders sitting there at 8-7 and seven after uh, picking up that win on Sunday against the Broncos. Oh, did, how did mom do with the loss, by the way? Not, not that I'm trying to rub it in, but just, just how did she do? You know what? She was okay because she took, and I don't know if I had showed you this picture when we were in the press box, she took one of those little, the helmets, oh, the yeah. mini helmets, yep. and she got that whole thing signed by players. It was the funniest thing. She she went to the players' tunnel, so um, it's kind of high up, right, where the opposing yeah. team comes from. She tied a string to the helmet and, like, dropped it down the tunnel. So she was, like, literally fishing for autographs. That's awesome. And she got the whole thing signed. She was so happy. My dad was sending me pictures of her throughout the game. And she was just so happy. So I think she it, it was whatever to her at that point. But she got all her autographs, and she was having a good time. That's a hell of a hustle right there. I'm not mad at yeah. her at all. That <laughs> Hey, I, I respect her for that. That's cool, man. That was a good idea that she had. And you did show it me that picture. Good. That was cool. It was so funny. I could see her, like, from the press box. I was looking with the binoculars, and I just see this, like, little orange thing moving up and down from the stands into where the players are coming from. It was pretty creative. And I know some Raiders fans, like, they can be there um, on the Raiders player side. So if you need an idea on how to get signatures, I would do that because – it worked out really well for her. That's cool. See, there you go. See, Raider fans, uh, you, you learned a tip from a Bronco fan. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> hey, whatever works, whatever gets the job done. So now that the Raiders are where they are, they picked up the win over the Broncos on Sunday. They're going to Indianapolis. Two wins. They need this one this week and next week, and they're in. No doubt about it. I mean, even if they lose this week, there's still a chance that they can find a way to stumble into the playoffs. But with everything that's gone on this year, can you believe that the Raiders are in this position this week? Not at all. I'm going to be honest, not at all. After, I would say, the Washington loss, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, this the, this is it. They, you know, they, they tried hard. They did their best as long as everybody had fun kind of thing, right, going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was done. And so, yeah, for them to bounce back um, and to get these last two wins and have two more ahead of them, yeah, it's honestly really surprising. And especially, Q, they haven't scored more than 20 points, if, and I think I did the math here, right, in seven of the last eight games. Mm, yep, yep, yep. No more than 20 points. So with an offense that, you know, uh, we obviously saw Josh Jacob get cooking um, on Sunday, but for an offense that has been down, Darren Waller obviously had the tragedy there with Henry Ruggs. And again, as you say, um, everything they've gone through, losing John Gruden, and to see them come back and to be where they are now, still very much in control of their postseason hopes and aspirations, it's, yeah, it's, I wouldn't have guessed. I would have wrote, written the end of this story. Right. No, I, I didn't think so either. I thought, especially after the Kansas City loss, I thought, all right, they got four more and the season's a wrap. Like that's, and that's just me being real. Like I thought that, that was it. They got a handful of games, and they'll call it a day. But uh, no, they, uh, they, they found a way to put themselves in a really good position where as long as they win, they are in. So as far as this game goes, I've been having a real hard time trying to like figure out this game and, and figure out the keys to this game because I don't know who's playing. So how how <laughs> how much of a grasp have you gotten on this game? I know you do a preview show and everything for the game. So how difficult has it been to kind of break this one down for you as well? I mean, yeah, it's so crazy. And I think it was, Vinny wrote a really good article um, for, at the Review Journal, ReviewJournal.com, that he said, like, the Raiders are preparing for the worst-case scenario because all of these guys who are on the COVID list, even if they do – 
test out or if they do um, the five-day quarantine at the point of when they test it, like they missed all week of practice. Mm-hmm. And you can only hope, right, that like by week 17 practice, like they've got it all down, uh, that they, they know what their job is supposed to be. But still to have a week off and maybe some of these guys are feeling symptoms or they're not 100% and then to come back on Sunday and to just be thrown into the game in a very important game nonetheless, yeah, it is it is up in the air. And I think I saw today, right, uh, they got Brian Edwards back. So that's good. Mm-hmm. So another offensive weapon there. But then you've still got Denzel Perryman and a bunch of the secondary on the COVID list still. And they got Perryman back for one game. And we knew he was injured. Got him back. And I feel like his leadership and his presence on the team just helps amplify the defense as a whole. So now for him to be on the COVID list, you've got Darren Waller on the COVID list. Obviously, been without him for a couple games. But still, like you're saying, we don't know who's playing. And, and I mean, how do you prepare for that? And again, when it's key, key points in the season and a crucial game coming up. Right, exactly. We're talking with Cassie Soto from the Las Vegas Review-Journal here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Colts, and and one thing that they do really well is create turnovers. And the Raiders, as of late, even the last game, uh, they turned the ball over three times. How big of a concern is that for you going into this game for the Silver and Black? They have to have ball security. Absolutely. That is a must. Even with 30 seconds left on the clock, or halftime like you gotta control that ball right, right. Mm-hmm. um and i don't know it has been an issue for them does did i hear the stat the other day Derek card leads in fumble yes fumbles that's, lost yeah yeah fumbles uh, lost. i think he has yeah. five on the season yep yeah so i think that's where it starts right, right. Derek card's got to control the ball again josh jacobs had um had a funky one in this past game and, yeah, I think, yeah, just ball security. And, and we see the drills, right, when they're running and they have, like, this big stick where they're trying to hit the ball out of, out of the guys in the drills. And you just have to take and, and they, they, they capitalize and they talk about we had a good practice, we had a great practice. Well, the practice, I guess they need to be practicing on ball security a little bit more because we have seen turnovers. And how many times do you, do you see a game where you have three turnovers in a game and that's the team that won? Right, right. right. Three versus nothing. So, again, I don't think, and it goes back to them scoring less than 20 points. It goes back to them having multiple turnovers. When you're facing a good opponent with, granted, their starting quarterback, like these little mistakes are not going to, they're going to add up, and they're not always going to equal a win. And, and as we've seen two weeks in a row now, they're able to get those wins and, and barely two points, two points and then three points or four points win in. And, yeah, so they're, they're winning games, but they're too close. And, again, when you're facing these two teams that have potential to take away your playoff hopes, you definitely got to clean it up. Right, no doubt. And you don't, if you do make it into the playoffs, you don't want to have that issue either. You don't want to have the turnover issue going on. And that's something that I think that they really need to be aware of this weekend is not to turn the ball over. Because to me, Cassie, and I, I wanted to ask you your thoughts, it feels like it at some point becomes a mental issue. Like it almost gets into their head and they're thinking about it more than just going out there and executing. No, for sure. Well, the Chiefs game, right? Like, how much of a cluster was that? Right, <laughs> right, right. Like, things went from bad to worse after the first, the opening drive. So, yeah, I think it very much is a mental game. And I think, and whether they just say, one to know each week, you know, where each game we're playing, it's the same kind of level-headed this and that. Like, once you realize how much is on the line, the personal and the people aspect of it, like, gets a little bit heavy on these guys, I'm sure, that they realize – this is it. Like, it's win now or go home. So, like you're saying, they, you, it's probably pretty easy to get in your head if you fumble a ball, if Derek Carr throws an interception. You can't you just wipe that away right away. 
So yeah, I was saying, it's just a mental game. Be go in, be focused, control the ball. I just go down. That's another like with Derek Carr. I feel like don't try, don't try to get fancy here. Just go down. Right, right. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're down, right. Keep the ball. Don't lose the ball. Just go down. You'll get another chance. Hopefully, right. You'll get another chance to make the play. Just go down. Right. No, you're not wrong about that. Again, we're talking with Cassie Soto here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Nation Radio 920. Just got a couple more questions for you. As far as the offensive line and what you saw from them, particularly in the second half last week, do you think that? At this point of the season, going into week 17, that, that what they were able to do, that can carry over to this week. I have to. Like, <laughs> there's no chance but for it, too. Um, was it, yeah, Greg Olson, I think, just recently said, was it today, right? I'm yep. losing my track of my yep. days already. Like, they're peaking, right? Peaking at the right time. And, and I, again, you would have hoped that this peak would have happened week 10, 11, 12 and get a sneak away a few more wins. But as long as it happens. Right. They said the other day that players are finally starting to have their aha moments. So as long as the aha moments are coming and they're getting these wins, then yeah, definitely. And, and we know that this offensive line has been a work in progress all season long. Um, I, and I don't know if we've talked about it enough. I know we talk about it like on the side and stuff, but like Richie Incognito, he's done, right? Like he's never coming back. Got to be done. Got to be he's done. done. Got to like, be. So the leader of this offensive line, they've had to focus and move on without him the entire season. And these young guys, they put this team on their back, and they allowed Josh Jacobs, obviously, to reach his first 100-yard game in over a year right. on Sunday. So, yeah, I think, I think they just have to replicate as much as they can from Sunday's game into this game. Um, and, and, again, do, do what they can to, to squeeze out two more wins. Right, no doubt about it. And, Cassie, before we let you go, I just want to know your anticipation level, and I hate to skip ahead, but say the Raiders win this game against the Colts on Sunday. All of a sudden, you have Week 18, the last game of the regular season, against the Chargers, a team you lost to in your house, Allegiant Stadium, to close out the regular season. You win, you're in. What do you believe that the level of the atmosphere there at Allegiant Stadium, how do you think, how electric do you think it'll be? Derek Carr said that the last game was like the most home field advantage he's felt. I have a feeling that that Week 18 game will completely top it, if that's the case, if it's a, a win and get in sort of situation and I think it goes back even to to the home opener right right to see fans in that stadium rocking and rolling to where we had a whole season without any fans and then to see that home opener I have a feeling it'll be that sort of atmosphere and people are going to lose their minds and I hope that that they get the chance to no I do too I really do I hope the next week we're talking and we're talking about that opportunity and if they flex the game I hope they don't flex it NFL I hope you're listening not to Saturday night but to Sunday night (laughs) do us a favor do us all a favor and flex it to Sunday night and not Saturday night. But I hope they get that opportunity. Cassie, uh, fantastic stuff as always. What do you got coming out in the Review Journal that folks need to be looking out for Vegas Nation? Yeah, for sure. As always, you can check us out. Our Vegas Nation game day show airs every Friday evening around 730 at VegasNation.com. And then you can join us on Sunday. We do a pregame show an hour and a half before. That's Vegas Nation game day live again at VegasNation.com. So you can, we'll bring you all the latest updates, tell you who's playing in this game, hopefully. Yeah, there you go. And uh, <laughs> Cassie, we appreciate you as always. You've been fantastic all season long. Every time you join us, have a happy birthday the rest of the day. Hurry up and get off the clock and enjoy your time. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon and talking to you soon. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Happy, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you? See you, Cassie. There she goes. She's fantastic. Cassie Soto. You can find her on Twitter at underscore Cassie Soto. Joins us each and every week, again, from uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, Vegas Nation. Her and Heidi Fang, they do a, a great job over there. Of course, Vinny writes for him. Ed Graney writes for him. I mean, just uh, Adam Hill. Uh, great staff over there. So we definitely appreciate uh, her for her efforts each and every week. Damon, do I have to take a break or do I, can I just roll? <laughs> He looked at me like, are you serious? You better take a break. 348 is the time. We'll come back, close out the show. This Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Just got a couple minutes left in today's show and in the week, as a matter of fact. Next time you hear from me, it'll be the new year. So I'll give you a happy new year right now off top. Damon, happy new year, my man. I appreciate you, uh, your fine work as always. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor is coming up next. We're going to pass the sticks on to him, and that is a Madden reference. When I say that every time I say we're going to pass the sticks on, that's exactly what I'm talking about is a Madden reference. Hold on real quick. Since it's it's Thursday and we clearly forgot, speed through the picks. Oh, man. We got a minute to do all the picks? Yep. Oh, damn. All right, here we go. Sorry, I was about to get to the text, but uh, Atlanta at Buffalo. Atlanta. I got Buffalo. Are you serious? Oh, you're going (laughs) stones to the wall. New York at Chicago. The Giants at Chicago. Giants. Jeez, I got the Bears. (laughs) Kansas City at Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Oh my gosh. I got since I got Kansas City. Miami at Tennessee. Tennessee, of course. Come on. I was about to say, I got the Titans as well. Uh the Patriots are hosting the Jaguars. Patriots, come on. I'm not that stupid. Okay, I'm about to say. Tampa Bay at the Jets. Tampa. Okay, I got Tampa Bay as well. Philly at Washington. Philly. Got the Eagles as well. The Rams taking on the Ravens. Ravens. Uh, okay, I got LA. Uh Denver is at the Chargers. Denver. I got the Chargers. Houston at San Fran playing in Santa Clara. San Francisco. I got the 49ers. The Cowboys are hosting the Cardinals. Cardinals. I got the Cowboys. The Saints are hosting the Panthers. Panthers. Oh, man, you're tripping. Saints. Seattle's hosting the Lions. Detroit. (laughs) Russell wants to get out of there. He's not playing hard. Fine. Seattle. (laughs) Green Bay's hosting the Vikings. Green Bay. (laughs) I got the Vikings as well. Monday Night Football. Big Ben. His last game at Heinz Field. He said it earlier today. It may be his last game, period. They're hosting the Browns. He's going to get it done. I got the Steelers as well. And the game I skipped over, the Raiders in Indy taking on the Colts. Who you got? Raiders. I got a gut feeling that the Raiders are going to win this one as well. Uh, I think it's going to be a close one, but I do have a feeling that they're going to win it. And the last game of the season is going to be for all the marbles. And it's going to be fantastic. And Vinny, who's coming up next, tell him to flex it to Sunday night. Not Saturday. I need Sunday. I can't have Saturday. It, our schedule won't allow it. <laughs> have a happy new year, everyone. Vinny Boston, yours up next. He's on the sticks. He's got a lot to bring to you the next two hours. I'll holler on the other side. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.